Welcome back. I, I, I get stressed just talking about something, just thinking about it. But, um, but interestingly, speaking of false advertisement, the second, the next movie we're going to review today was billed as a piece of cinema, as a piece of film. Does it? <laughs> does it qualify? Do we have a lawsuit that we can uh, make happen here? All right, guys, this is episode four of Max and Jason Watch a Movie. Today we will be tackling the final installment of the Burtonverse series of Batman movies. So that brings us to Batman and Robin, directed by Joel Schumacher, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, George Clooney, Chris O'Donnell, Reese Witherspoon, and Uma Thurman. Now what I said was Reese Witherspoon, and I was wrong. It is Alicia Silverstone. And I apologize to you, the listener, and to Lord Movies for the mistake. Um, it is the bumpiest of the rides we'll be taking on this journey. So uh, buckle up, guys, and uh, enjoy the show. I thought, so I'm just jumping us into Batman and Robin. I didn't notice this at the time, but I wish I had to take a drink. Get better, better make a big, big <laughs> joke there. In Batman 1989, there was a brilliant scroll through the Batman symbol while the opening credits rolled. Yes. In Batman and Robin, there is a terrible metamorphosis of the title. I don't, I think it goes from Warner brothers to the bat symbol. Is that right? Or is it, yeah. or is it the bat symbol to the Robin symbol? And the two kind of yeah. mesh, don't they? Yeah. yeah. I remember thinking, well, that's some of the worst animation I've, I've ever seen. Maybe that was the signal for the tone that we were looking yeah. for in the last film because uh, it's a, it's a, it's a really bad effect. And I remember being, I wasn't underwhelmed. I was kind of offended that they had done that, that they had thought that that was enough with the credits, with the opening credits, with that, that little metamorphosis scene. Anyway, that was that's where I'm starting from in this film, already out of the gate. I, I don't have as many production notes, but there are some interesting things, just a, yep. a handful. Uh, I'm, I, I get stressed just talking about this movie, just thinking about it. But, um, but interestingly, uh, Batman Forever was such a hit, yep. and, and it was. I mean, actually, it, it yeah, did, no, I... did really, really well. Warner Brothers immediately green-lighted, rushed into production sequel. Yeah. That is the reason why Val Kilmer is not in it. Oh, really? Batman Forever is 95. This is 97. Yeah. That's a that's a very quick turnaround for yeah. big budget movies. Yeah. With with elaborate sets and so forth. Val Kilmer had already committed he was filming The Saint. He uh, had already signed on to do The Island of Dr. Moreau. Okay. So, so so you know he wasn't necessarily headed into greener pastures either. No. But no. Um, but so when they they contacted him and said, "Well, you know, we're 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 starting the next film right now." And he yeah. said, "Well, I I I can't do it." And I guess Joel Schumacher didn't really get along with him during the making of Batman Forever anyway. Now, now that's not the reason why he didn't come back. He came no. back simply because he wasn't available. Well, I know Schumacher also had trouble with uh, Tommy Lee Jones and Jim Carrey in the last film because those two didn't get along. Tommy Lee Jones hated, hated Jim Carrey, thought he was a terrible actor, which was a pretty cheeky criticism coming from Tommy Lee Jones while he was doing his Two-Face. Well, in this film, Tommy, you don't really have any any room to criticize Jim Carrey. Yeah, yeah. For... So it was a very quick turnaround. Um, they they obviously cast George Clooney, who was who was still on television at the time. Yep. I watched a little documentary, very brief, uh, in which Joel Schumacher talked about the making of the film. And he talks about the fact, I mean, actually, I, I, I really kind of respect what he said. Yeah. Because he, he kind of accepts responsibility in, I mean, he says, I'm not trying to blame anybody because 
I agreed to do it, but he does say that the studio pushed things so hard in order to get all these toys manufactured, very short time to get a lot done. A lot of uh, visuals and so forth had to be created very, very quickly so that the toys could be manufactured because that takes a lot of time. Yeah, yeah. Schumacher, he was he was almost making an excuse, but he, I mean, but, but he said, look, I'm not making an excuse because I agreed to all of it. Yeah. But that was one of the problems of the production. Uh, everything was rushed. Uh, Akiva Goldsman comes back as the screenwriter. He did the final script for Batman Forever. Okay. He comes back and he writes this one uh, kind of on his own. I guess there was a, a time where he went to Schumacher during the making of it saying like, you know, I, I think there's problems with my script. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I kind of got the sense that everybody had some misgivings. Well, those misgivings were certainly justified. But Chris O'Donnell said that when he was making Batman Forever, he felt like he was making a movie. Yeah. When he made Batman and Robin, he felt like he was making a toy commercial. Well, I mean, that makes sense. Uh, I, I'm glad that Schumacher doesn't want to absolve himself of the blame because the actor who plays... So in this film, everybody, if you haven't seen it, then why would you have seen it? Uh we have several villains for Batman to deal with. We have Poison Ivy. We have Bane. Who else? Mr. Freeze. How could I forget? How could I forget Mr. Freeze? Yeah. yeah. That pretty much rounds him out, right? Yeah, that's everybody. Uh, of the bad guys. Yeah. So this is a lot. It's a huge cast. But in the beginning, uh, Pamela Isley, who will become Poison Ivy, played by Uma Thurman. She's okay in the role. There's another guy in there, an actor named, I, I can't remember. His last name's Glover. He's in a lot of movies. He works all the time. Sidebar, the actor's name is John Glover. He's been in a lot of DC productions, actually. Uh, so into the sidebar. He's uh, the other scientist in her lab, which <laughs> I was watching this with my, with my son. He was like, why is the lab a castle? <laughs> because there's this, it's, their lab is this like almost gothic structure and looks like in some jungle country. It doesn't look anything like a lab, but Returning to John Glover, he said that one of the big problems that he thought all the actors had, that he certainly had it, was that like before every take, and we talked about this in the last, in the, in the, uh, when we talked about the last movie, remember this is a cartoon, is what George, Joel Schumacher would yell before every take. From the get-go, you get these massive, over-the-top performances that seem everybody. rushed. From yeah. everybody. There's, there's not, even, even subdued Pat Hingle will... Pat Hingle oh. plays plays Gordon, everybody, and he will somehow manage to go over the top in this film. But so the the first action sequence, go ahead and tell us what what happens. How how do we how do we meet our our daring dynamic duo? First action scene is the, the Gotham Museum, mm -hmm. right? Yep. I can't remember how long after the credits it was. Uh, of course, they do kind of set up, I believe, in that first scene that something's wrong with Alfred. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. But I, anyway. th I thought he was at first a little ill because he was a little confused by what George Clooney was doing. He was like made <laughs> ill by George's acting. But yeah, George Clooney, though, is not over the top. He looks confused. Like I like he's really not sure how he's supposed to kind of plug well, in. I, and he's the star. I often like George Clooney. Uh, he made a action film, I believe, with Nicole Kidman called The Peacemaker. Uh, I can't remember who directed it, but it's a really good action movie. It's a very solid performer, and he's very good in it. 
Sidebar. The film is 1997's The Peacemaker, directed by Mimi Lader, starring George Clooney, Nicole Kidman, Marcel Eurs. It's a good movie. You guys should see it. So into the sidebar. As I watch this movie, as I watch George Clooney be Batman and Batman and Robin, I notice all of his little mannerisms and his tics. He has this little thing that he does where he bobs his head a lot when he talks. And somebody should have controlled that. Or somebody should say, hey, just stand still, you know. Again, it is just the actors being sort of themselves. I was just watching George Clooney and I was like, oh my God, why are you acting this way? I, I couldn't I couldn't figure out what he was doing. And maybe that's because he couldn't figure out what he was doing either. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Jeff, sorry. Well, um, so they get in, in the, which I think, isn't it a new Batmobile again? It is a new Batmobile and, yeah. and impossibly worse than the last one. <laughs> Going to the museum, Commissioner Gordon comes on the screen and, and I cannot quote it exactly, but it is almost like a grocery list of uh, Batman, Mr. Freeze is at museum. People are frozen. It's just the most bizarre delivery that, yeah, yeah. that, that uh, it, it really was very jarring. And then we're immediately swept into this world of uh, hockey skaters. I have a theory about Pat Hingle. I think they had him for like a half hour <laughs> that day and he was like all right look i'm i'm retired you guys got me for a half hour so all right let's go nope that's it that we're gonna do that take let's do the next scene <laughs> yeah but that was perfect bye <laughs> yeah yeah that's... Um, that's that's about how invested i found him to be in these in this in this movie but yeah so there's freeze has hired a hockey team to steal some ice to steal some ice, yes. Uh, yeah. Mr. Freeze, for those of you who got, for the listeners who don't know, Mr. Freeze needs diamonds to aim lasers to stay cold. Don't ask me why, doesn't matter. Uh, but he needs them, and that's that's going to be a big driving plot point for the whole film. Freeze needs right. diamonds for lasers. It's an impossibly long action scene, actually. I don't remember that scene being that long. There was a moment where it was like, okay, they've got the diamonds. Mm-hmm. We should be wrapping this scene up, and then it then it keeps going. And then well, no, because because then, then it's a hockey game with the diamond, which by the way is only made possible by the by the ice skates that pop out of Batman and Robin's boots. <laughs> yep. Um, uh, just before they have the big hockey hockey game with Mister Freeze's henchmen, I thought that was obviously really dumb. If it had been in a film that really wanted to be Adam West, the Batman, the, the 1966 kind of campy comedy show, that would have been a perfect scene. And we're going to see this, this, this thing about the comedy come up again and again. It never commits to being a comedy, so the writing isn't great for a comedy. Right. Although, did you notice in that scene, again, uh, we have the same composer. The score is virtually the same as the last film. However, in that scene, there were actually little like wing, like little noises. Oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah. There, there were yeah. there were there were little comedy cues. Yeah, in the in the yeah, yeah. in the in the sound. Which I don't I don't necessarily remember being there. I I have not watched this film a lot over the years. Which <laughs> probably won't surprise you. That was something that uh, definitely got an eye roll or two from me. But this film got a lot of those. You know, watching it again, I I laughed a lot. I mean, in some ways, the question to ask is: This one of those movies that's so bad that it's good? I was grappling with that question earlier, and I think the answer is no. It's just bad. I th- I think that I think the key to being a movie that's so bad it's good is that you're never trying to be funny in such movies. Right, right. Uh, Deep Blue Sea is a perfect example of a movie that's so bad that it's good. It's trying earnestly to be a good action film and failing miserably. 
the comedy yeah. is an accident of its creation, you know? Right. Um, this movie tries to be funny a lot and falls like flat on its face a lot of times. I mean, the, the, the comedy is just terrible. And I mean, I, I hate to point the finger at one of my favorite actors of specifically of the 90s action movie genre. Arnold Schwarzenegger fails pretty badly in this film. It was shocking to me then. And it's even more shocking to me now because we know that Schwarzenegger can do comedy. Yeah. He's been in a couple of great comedies. A lot of his action movies have priceless comedy beats. I mean, True Lies is a romantic action comedy. Yes. And it's, yes. A, gr it's a great movie. At least I think it is. I know that it's got some critics in the modern era, but we know he can do comedy. Can you think of any line that he delivers that's all that great or that funny? No, no. I mean, actually not by anybody. So, so I... I, I tried to think of it in those terms. Is it so bad that it's good? And I, I think it fails because it's for that to work, it would have had to have basically been like a, a movie like Deep Blue Sea. It would have been earnestly trying to be a, a good action film. What did you think? What, where do you come out on that question? I, I think I agree with you because I, I also was thinking the same thing. Um, now, I did at the time, I, I, I definitely did not like it as well as, as Batman Forever. Yeah. But, um, but I, you know, I, I don't remember hating it at the time. I, I like. I think that. Forever and Batman and Robin piggyback a lot on fan forgiveness because I because it goes back to us wanting to like these films. Uh, we forgive a lot of Batman Forever and but Batman and Robin is really asking us to forgive even more. Um, yeah, and, and there's no doubt about that. And actually, I I have to actually describe my visceral reaction to these films as uh, as one of pain. Mm -hmm. I was miserable watching these movies. Yeah. And, and the reason is when you're surrounded by people who are not acting like people, where they're everywhere you look, there is nowhere a real character to be seen. It becomes kind of like a kind of a cinematic desert where you just want a, a, a sip of cold water or something, just something to to, to 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 hang your hat on, and it's just not there. This is a two-hour movie, and it feels every bit of it. There's characters you want to like, you know, you want to like Batgirl, you want the three of them to kind of be a, a, a team that you enjoy watching. Yeah, and you don't. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's just I don't know. I mean, I kind of feel like with with this film, we're going to jump around a lot, like we did with Batman Returns. Yeah, uh, just because. You know, uh, it's it's a mess. This this yeah. movie is really really a mess. Well, nothing highlights its messiness more than the relationship between Bruce Wayne and Elle McPherson. I mean, why was that even in the movie? It's easily the most low key of the romances. It has the least chemistry of any any of the By Batman far. films. I know you have some complaints about Kim Basinger and Michael Keaton their chemistry in in the first Batman film, but. Boy, that does look like nine and a half weeks compared to the chemistry that I think it's Elle McPherson and uh, yep, and yep. George Clooney have. And it's just, it's you could cut it out and lose nothing. Totally phoned in. Like somebody should have said, hey, we've got a two hour movie. This can go. Yeah. We don't, you could have had her just appear in that. She appears in a scene where we first meet Poison Ivy. And then she appears in a scene where Bruce is thinking about things and kind of having trouble talking to her. And in part because he's been manipulated a bit by Poison Ivy. But we get enough of that with the friction between Robin, who's also under Ivy's spell a bit in this movie. And so we didn't need to see it again. That's a storyline that's duplicated with, it's it's the flat, it's one of the flattest things that we've seen in any of the, the movies in the series. Yeah, that's a good point, yeah. And it is symptomatic of a lot of the problems of this film. Barbara Gordon, not Barbara Gordon, is it? Right, right. It's yeah, Barbara, it's Barbara Pennyworth, I guess. So in this one, we get back, so we get introduced to Batgirl in this movie. She's not Barbara Gordon as she is in the comic book. 
she's been a few other people in the comic book as well, but she's never been Alfred's niece. <laughs> yeah. That's flat. The Barbara Batgirl story is flat. As far as uh, other things that, that are flat or don't make any sense, Alfred's illness. I, I don't even know what to say about that. It's the he, first MacGuffin illness we've ever had in a movie. I was mystified by all of you. Where are they going with this? Yep. Well, I guess it's the attachment with Alfred and this kind of thing. Which, by the way, one of the things about Alfred Pennyworth in these four films, he's a manipulative son of a bitch, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, he absolutely... And think about this. He runs Bruce's life and practically bullies him into doing things or accepting things that he doesn't want to accept. Yeah. Cal, I list them for you. The first film, he brings Vicki Vale into the Batcave without permission. Oh, oh there she is. Batman Forever. He, he makes a costume for Robin when Batman has clearly, you know, drawn a line in the sand, you know, beyond, you know. And then the same thing happens in this movie. Yeah. Suit me up, Uncle Alfred. Yeah. Like, has that ever occurred to you? That, that, until you just mentioned it, it actually had not occurred to me. I sort of think that's sort of a bit over the line with Alfred, but close to being in character. In the, in the comic book, he's often giving Bruce feedback Bruce doesn't want to hear. But you're right, though. In the comic book, he never would have brought somebody in without Bruce's permission, you know? Yeah, yeah. They might have an argument about it, but Alfred is in the employee of Bruce. In this, I would rather I would rather have seen the argument. But no, you're right. I I hadn't really thought of it in that way until you just brought it up. Regarding Barbara Gordon, she hacks into his computer, and that's how she finds out about everything. And he's trying to find his brother. Yes. And 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 you know, I I just wasn't really going along with that that plot thread. I I, I so, like, so, I, so what I think is it was happening here uh, for the audience who hasn't seen this movie. Uh, Alfred is sick with the same disease that is killing Mr. Freeze's wife. I think he's trying to find his brother who is serving some Indian royalty in India to come back to, to America so that he can work for the Waynes. That's somebody who he trusts to carry on or the, the tradition of working for Wayne as basically co-conspirator in the fight against injustice, which is also kind of presumptuous. Yeah, and, and she calls him out on that. She basically, you know, uh, I guess being a liberated woman, she's like, you know, you know, you've been a slave to these people all these years. Yeah. Which I, don't, I didn't remember that. I didn't remember that yeah. she she took that track, but she does. I, I also thought that the scenes depicting his illness were a little awkward. You know, he, he's, he's got, he's all dressed up and everything. And, and then, but then when he's finally in, 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 in bed, he's not sweating. Yeah. You know, there's no evidence that he's feverish or, or, or anything. He's yeah. just kind of, he's just in a bed and, and like no effort was done. It was almost like, okay, in this scene, you're sick. <laughs> you know, you know, is there anything we need to do to sell that? No, just they know you're sick. Just lay there, say these say these lines. And yeah. So much of the film is very lazy. There's reused lines like uh, it's the car, right? Chicks dig the car. Yeah. Which is yep. the same line that Val Kilmer used in the previous film when he was talking to Chase Meridian. It's probably because everything was rushed. So you have a, a problematic approach and then the fact that it was rushed. Yeah. That, that, that it was all rushed. And so I, I think that, that that all combined to really just create a, a, an absolute disaster. Well, speaking of rushed, I mean, like in another way, so we, we we're seeing elements, we're seeing evidence of how the, how the, how it was rushed through the weaknesses of the script. But like, look at Bane. I could have done that costume for Bane. Uh, have, a, have a drink, have a drink. I could have done that costume for Bane in a weekend because one of the things that's like, that struck me as I was watching it, it's, the actor's quite big and quite 
you know, I mean, there's a power lifter, I think, that they got to do the do the part. One of the things that happens uh, to bodybuilders and stuff is they get this this amazing amount of vascularity. So they have, they have these big veins that like feed these giant muscles that they have. They've drawn they've drawn the veins on his arm in what looks like Sharpie. I, I noticed that. And I was just like, I had to kind of stop my mind for a second and just kind of grapple with the fact that they thought that was just acceptable. I would rather they have not done anything. I mean, A, because it's a terrible Bane anyway. Bane in the comic book is, he's of course a big giant guy who's a great wrestler, but he's also brilliant. I mean, he's the guy, he's the guy who designs the venom serum that makes him, it's, it's, it's the best steroid on earth, I guess. But he's, he designs that. In this movie, he's basically Lou Ferrigno from the 70s Hulk show. He just yeah. grunts and groans. He sometimes repeats a word that Poison Ivy says to him. It's a terrible bane. I, w- I, I was oh. offended by that when I first saw it. Oh, yeah. Oh, like um, they could have cut him out because you just said he was like Lou Ferrigno, but yeah. you're giving him too much credit. Because you know his moment to shine. All right, Bane. You know, bust through this wall. Come, oh, reinforce steel. Like the one thing the movie gave for him to do, and he can't do it. Um, You had one job, Bane. Yeah, yeah. And and then and and actually that occurred to me when they end up defeating him. You know, his body shrinks down. And the thought that occurred to me was he was not imposing. He 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 was not a threat. No. He he served the plot not at all. No. Like they really, uh, it was just an excuse, I guess, to create a costume that looks yeah. like a Halloween costume. It, it oh, is, it, I mean, that's how bad it really is. Really bad. It's a yeah. ter- it's a terrible costume. It has some of that that black light reactivity that that Joel Schumacher, for some yeah. reason, was in love with him for these past two films. I mean, I, I have to wonder if that wasn't something he was asking. Well, how how will that costume react under black light? Great, let's have it. You know. Yeah, yeah. And but but I think it, another thing that Bane was there for was to sell more toys, probably. That's a very good point. You know, it's it's the George Lucas problem. You know, yeah. we've got to invent characters. Hey, we can make a toy of that. We can make a toy of this. And yeah. the, this film, even much more so than Batman Forever, I think this film has a lot of that, and it's a problem. Was there any? Was there any? good design do you think did you like any of the design and was there anything that was design wise that you thought well that's kind of nice no and i say that emphatically I, I i think the design is worse than the previous movie the architecture and the physics of gotham are so much worse do you remember this there's a chase scene in the movie where batman is chasing freeze across the city and at some point they end up driving across statues do you remember that I do. And before the stupid statue scene where they're driving down the arm of a giant statue, you know, a Statue of Liberty sized statue, I remember thinking these streets in the city were designed by Escher. Right. The, the city makes no sense. How do they get up there? I mean, like, so they start at, at ground level and then they kind of, they kind of go up so that suddenly they're driving through this giant statue. And it, yeah. so, so that made no sense at the time. And I think even still to this day, though, I thought the Mr. Freeze costume was okay. Oh, I, I would go with that. Yeah. I would go with that. Oh, by the way, the action scenes in this film are a step down. Yeah. A very clear, I mean, for some reason, we're almost back to the, to, to the costume problems. Yeah. There's a scene where um, Poison Ivy, of course, she does this all the time. Right. Like, she, blow, she blows and, the, the toxins at everybody else. Well, but, but, but she'll do it, and then she'll like do it again, like in, like for good measure or something. Yeah. Sure. So she's, do, she's doing that constantly. So she does that to Batman, and he's like, like this. Jason pantomimes Batman lying on his back. Yeah. And then, and then there's like a shot, just very briefly, of him getting up, just barely able to do it. 
Like, it, you know, it, it's just, it's very clear that he's not handling the suit very well at all. I think that that's, I think that that's a problem. I think the fight scenes are not as good. And not only are the fight scenes not, not as good, the stunts aren't very good. And I, 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 I I'm glad well, you said I, that because I was just, I, I was thinking about this earlier and I was trying to figure out a way to broach the subject, uh, but you've, you've given us a nice segue here because this is the worst of all the action choreography. In the, in the last film, in Batman Forever, you see Batman moving, and there's this attempt to make his movements look like a person leaping through the air without a per- who isn't on wires, who, who isn't trying to hold a position as wires carry them through the air. It looks like, well, that guy really leaped there. Oh, he's really swinging from that rope, or he's really gliding along that cape. There are several scenes in Batman and Robin where Batman or Robin or Batgirl leap through the air and it is clear that they are trying to hold their position whilst on a wire with their hands outstretched with their cape like it doesn't make sense for the action like well why would anybody do that why would you fly through you're not flying through the air it's clear that you're you know because the cape's not even working correctly right yeah Um, you're just kind of trying to hold this cruciform position as the as you get swung through the air but like, it doesn't make sense from the standpoint of the action that's going on, right? What I think they were trying to do is convey that they leapt in the air and the capes were causing them to glide, right? But it doesn't look like that at all. It just looks like people being yeah. attached to wires. And it looks absolutely terrible. And for whatever problems the, the previous three films have had, they never just threw up a stinker on an effect like that. You know what I mean? Um, I, I, I noticed that a lot. Yeah. And, and actually, I cannot remember which, I, I, I just exactly what you just said. I can't remember what act, action scene it is might be the skating scene it might be the the scene later when they fight freeze at the uh they do have a fight scene don't they at the uh they have, a, they have a fight scene at the well they have a fight scene at the mall they have a fight scene at the end uh freeze and batman have a fight scene um well okay there's, there's the, a moment I, okay i can't remember the context but where robin leaps to onto like a uh some something with a hatch on it it's so obvious that he's not leaping yeah he's he's gliding into it on a wire and and it's and it just so obvious and, and these scenes just, I mean, there's so many things that take you out of this film. But then those little things happen. Also, you know, you asked for my opinion of the production design. Well, I mean, really, it's the same. Is Batman Forever just a little, just a little more so? It's as bad, but more so. But, there, but there's something else. A lot of the scenes really look like sets. You mentioned the castle where yeah. the the doctor and, you know, the, the scientist and, uh, and Poison, Poison Ivy. Ivy. I was very aware that that looked like a set. Yeah, I mean, I know all these things are sets, yeah. but it just it looked like a play. Like you could almost imagine the cameras in the margins. Like there was there well, was no reality to it at all. Well, that scene, especially many many others, the the freeze hideout scene. I swear, it reminded me of the Power Rangers. For a weekly show like Power Rangers, you gotta you gotta churn out material, so your special effects look bad all the time. You're, you set up the shots and you're clearly on a set. You know what I mean? Uh, the costumes aren't great, but you're in a hurry and you're aiming at, aiming at kids who probably don't care that much uh, that you can see a zipper or two. On that, on that castle set, I'm almost waiting for a character like Sammy Terry to come out and tell me about the, the night's evil cinema treat that we're going to watch on Saturday night. For people who don't know, Jason and I are from Indiana and there was a, there was a creature feature host uh, named Sammy Terry, and was it Saturday nights? I think it was Friday nights. Friday nights. So every Friday night around ten thirty or eleven, there would be this horror movie, often bad, uh, but anyway, this guy would come out in this terrible little Indiana studio set, dressed like a 
<laughs> a low rent vampire, and he would, he would, he would, he would. Never uh, knew what he was. <laughs> yeah, no, a ghoul. He was a ghoul. Yeah. Okay. But, I mean, like that's the quality of the set. It's you know, like almost public access bad. No, but see, that's almost an insult to Sammy Terry. I oh, mean, I'm actually, sure. because 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 that was at least effective for what it was trying to do. None of these, none of these, none of these sets work. None of these scenes. Work. So here's a question: mm-hmm. Is there anything good about this movie? The answer is no. You can't answer that question with uh, an affirmative of any kind. I, I, I laughed a bit at the badness, but, but you know, not enough. Not enough. It, 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 it's not bad enough that, you know, because, you know, where you want to get a lot of friends together to watch a bad movie and laugh at it. It was not worth it. I, I don't think I ever want to watch it again. No, I can't think of anything that's, uh, that gives it any merit. Um, Hold on. This doesn't really have anything to do with the movie, but I will give Joel Schumacher a lot of credit for defending... Alicia Silverstone in this film. She was, they cut a lot of her scenes out, I guess, because she put on weight between the time she was cast and fitted for her costume and production. So she couldn't fit into her costume. And so they ended up not being able to use her as much as they would have liked to. And she took a beating in the press for that. And he was like, lay off of her, everybody. She's, we've all been there. We've all been teens. You know, we've all lost weight and and put on weight. You know, this is, why, why are you going after this teenager? <laughs> and he went after a few reporters, specifically female, I guess, gossip reporters who were just blasting Alicia Silverstone. And so, yeah, good on you, Joel Schumacher. Not for this movie yeah. so much, but... For defending one of your actors from malicious nonsense. Good job. I didn't know that story. Yeah. yeah. That's the only good thing I could say about it. He, he has apologized for this film. But he he apologized for this film. And, and I will say, um, have you ever, have you seen George Clooney do an interview about this, uh, this I, film? I, I don't know if I've seen him do an interview. I do know what he said, I think, upon rap of the film. Do you know what he said? I, I don't know what he said upon rap. I, I know what he has said since. What did he say upon rap? Well... I think we've killed the franchise. And he was right. Yep. If you can find, there's a British talk show. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what it is. Is it Graham Natural? Uh, uh, Graham, uh, Graham Norton. Yes. Yes, it yeah. is. So have you seen this interview? I don't think I've seen this interview, but I watched a lot of Graham Norton. Uh, he has George Clooney on there and he asks about Batman. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be interesting because George Clooney, unlike everybody else in the film, uh, did not have his career destroyed yep. uh, by this film. Everyone else, uh, well, not Schwarzenegger, but uh, everyone else to some degree or another did. S- some people were able to, like Uma Thurman, and I was conscious of that when she did Kill Bill, I was like, oh, you know, she 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 rises again. You know, she, yeah. she survived Batman and Robin. George Clooney points out that it was a horrible film, and he does a great Joel Schumacher impersonation. Oh, yeah. And, and he actually, and and but this is very telling. You know, you said that uh, Joel Schumacher, remember everybody, this is a this is a cartoon. cartoon. Yeah. Well, George Clooney says that whenever before any of his scenes, Schumacher would say, "Okay, George, your parents are dead. Your life has no meaning. Action," which does not come up in this film at all. Yeah. And that kind of um, you should watch it. It's really, it's actually really, it's yeah. really funny that he has a sense of humor about it today. I'm not surprised. He does seem like a guy who could could make that joke about himself. Well, well, well um, he's recovered from, and he's recovered from Batman and Robin completely. I actually, that was very instructive to me um, that he said that. I feel like that that's, that might be evidence of what, uh, of kind of the theme that I've been been hitting uh, uh, this evening is that uh, these characters are all one note. In other words, your parents are dead. Your life has no meaning. That's all you need to know. Schumacher really felt like that, you know, these characters were meant to be kind of one note characters and that that's the kind of direction that they got. So 
uh, it did occur to me that actually a lot of the a lot of the problems with the performances. Look, we've almost panned everybody in yeah. both films. If you th if you stop and think about it for a second, except for Val Kilmer maybe a little bit, we've almost panned everybody, and none of these people are bad actors. None no, no, no. I I really feel like, and, and I don't again. I, I don't want to come down too hard on Joel Schumacher. He did have a, a vision, and it, it really just didn't work. He, yeah. he, he did not understand how to make comic book movies. He had an idea. Yeah. The idea is, not, is just not an effective way to, to tell a comic book story. We can't really give him a pass, though. And the reason that we can is even though in this era, these films look worse than they ever have. Yeah. But the fact is, is we did have uh, Tim Burton's Batman, yeah. and we did have Richard Donner's Superman. There was a template for how to take a classic comic book story and turn it into cinema. Yeah. And Schumacher, uh, unlike Burton, just chose to ignore that. Like, it's almost like he chose to imitate those, those bad TV movies from you know, Spider-Man and Captain America, Death Too Soon and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Like, he, he really just chose to go in that direction instead of going after anything with any kind of weight to it. It just didn't work. I, I admire him that he accepts responsibility for that. Yeah. Uh, I admire him that he doesn't just pass the buck and he, uh, and then you know in his apology he did say you know I I didn't in, basically I didn't intend for it to suck is what, yeah. <laughs> that's, is what he, is, well, that's yeah. good that's good I mean yeah, that's, yeah that's a that's a that's an admirable position to you know start yeah. from when you're making art I think the that campy approach could have worked if he had just committed to it in a bigger way but that requires planning and maybe he didn't have the kind of time he needed. Because that would have been a fine cast to do '66 Batman, but that's not what that's not what happened. That's not what we got. We got we got something that was just a bit above a Power Rangers movie, I think. You know, if that, if that, yeah, yeah. At the time, I, I in '97, I know I was not as mean to it as I should have been. But I mean, even then, I, I did see all the flaws. I still hated the Batmobile. I still hated a lot of the action. I think I tried to like it more because of Arnold Schwarzenegger's presence in it. Because uh, I don't know, Arnold gave me a lot of great movies in the '90s, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to hate on a movie he was in. Well, you know, and, and there's something. There's something else though too. Mm -hmm. Like, um, you know, right now we're living in the era of the MCU, yep. where we know what it's like for a, 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 a movie maker or a movie company to create an extended universe mm -hmm. and to do it flawlessly. Yeah. But it's always something that I wanted. And I think a lot of us who grew oh. up, that we wanted. I always loved the Superman films. I always knew Superman 4 was terrible. But I would watch it because I was a bit of a completist because I liked the idea of, you know, a storyline, you know, kind of going forward. So... I guess that one of the reasons is that what why, Superman Four does to that? <laughs> does it move the story forward? I'm not sure I can agree with that, but oh. okay, for the sake of argument, I'll let you continue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it probably doesn't, but 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 see, I guess my point is is that at that time, and, and it's something that's easy to forget now. That in my mind, we kind of came from the Star Wars generation. Yeah, we loved Star Wars, and, and I think that that most of our generation. Uh, were like my experience of, you know, I love Star Wars so much. You know, I just wanted more. I wanted, I wanted more like this. Yeah. And so I would watch anything that was even remotely science fiction, whether, no matter whether it was bad, whether it was good, yep. because just, I just wanted more of that. I, I would prefer if it was good, but pretty much I think that it was easier to be forgiving at that yeah. time than it is now, because yeah, now, true. you know, 
there's there's so much good material, not just in cinema, but I mean on television. No, yeah. there's just so much to watch now. But even in 1997, you know, there wasn't as much. Um, I mean, there was more than there was in the 80s. Yeah. But there's but but it was still slim pickings compared to today. I don't even think Blade, I th- Bla- not even Blade had come out yet, had it? That was the next year, I believe. I believe it okay. was 98, 98 or 99. That that would be the. Uh, Blade would be kind of be the un, the unsung uh, first blow uh, in the new kind of golden era of comic films, and then X Men. X Men was the home run then. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Um, yeah. I don't think there's anything left to say about Batman and Robin except good riddance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Never um, again. <laughs> never again. No, I don't. I I think I'm with you. I don't think I'll ever watch it again. Uh, I could watch Batman Forever with the kids again. If if Finn wants to watch Batman and Robin again, I will have something else to do while he does it. Any final words on Batman and Robin from you? Is it the worst comic book movie of all time? No, no, that would still that's still Captain America from 1990. I think I maybe maybe Superman <laughs> Quest for Peace is the worst. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, now it's time for the verdict. The final verdict on Batman and Robin from Jason and Max Watch a movie is. Run for the hills. It's not so bad that it's good, and it's not so good that it's good. This just doesn't succeed as a film. It doesn't succeed as a comic book adaptation. Um, it's just not a good movie. So, zero out of ten stars. Whatever your scale is, it doesn't make it on the scale. And that's the verdict from Max and Jason Watch a Movie. All right, gang. That's it for episode four of Max and Jason Watch a Movie. Uh, next week, we're going to hit Superman the Movie from 1978, which was directed by Richard Donner, starring Christopher Reeves, Gene Hackman, and Margot Kidder. Um, Thanks to everybody who's listening to the podcast and enjoying it and giving us feedback. Um, We're going to continue improving, and we're we're glad you're listening. So uh, that's all I got. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Never again, Batman and Robin. That's right. (laughs) The question to ask, is this one of those movies that's so bad that it's good? Not to worry, through the magic of editing, I'll cut that giant pause out.